Unpopular opinion, but unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. You're listening to Unpopular Opinion, a podcast for professionals from all walks of life who want to hear success stories from innovators who've won by taking the path less traveled. In each episode, recovering journalist and content marketer Ashley Amber Saba interviews individuals who have prospered thanks to their genuinely unpopular opinions, despite warnings from naysayers, threats to their careers, and colossal obstacles. All rebels are welcome. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Ashley Sava, and this episode is brought to you by my friends at Audience Ops. Audience Ops is a done-for-you content-led growth agency that offers case studies, blogs, and full-service podcast production for professionals looking to launch a podcast like this one. Today, I'm joined by Deborah Corey. She is a five-time author and the Chief Pay It Forward Officer at Debco HR. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm very glad that you joined me today. Um, today, we want to talk a little bit about your unique take that companies should create a culture of appreciation through recognition strategies and programs, not on gifts and trophies and money. Can you kind of elaborate on how you came up with that? Yeah, you know, I've been doing HR for over 20 years, and I've been putting in place a lot of recognition programs. And I think the problem is that a lot of companies, we do the same things. I mean, I can remember the first time we did a trophy or, you know, you got this gift from Tiffany's or something like that. And, you know, the world has changed so much. Our people have changed. They're doing different things. They have different needs. And we're focusing really on the wrong thing. We really need to start focusing on the feeling of appreciation. So, you know, if you give someone a trophy, how are they going to feel? If they feel appreciated, great. If they don't feel appreciated and they put it in their, you know, their, their drawer, nobody has desks anymore, you know, they put it at home in their closet, then they're not feeling great. So I think that people really need to start thinking about what are we trying to do? How are we trying to make people feel? Because if not, we're just, we're just wasting time and energy. So that's, that's my big, big, big point from um, my latest book. And then I also share lots of tips on what I call the four golden rules of what's what are some of the things that you can do to get it right because it's I hate when people say it's wrong and then they're like okay now what do I do so yeah we can talk more about you know some tips on what people can do as well definitely can you catch me up on your entire work history so the audience kind of knows where you're coming from on that angle well how many hours do we have now <laughs> I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll condense it all I'll condense it all so I started out as an HR person. I don't know about anybody else, but completely fell into HR. Um, I had it as a part-time job when I was going to college and loved it. And I did it in a corporate role, lots of different companies from retail to roller coasters, which was my kid's favorite, to wow. technology. Um, and then how many years ago, four years ago, I decided to go off on my own and my title of chief pay it forward officer and spend more time doing things like writing books and doing talks like this and, and working with companies. Um, and that's really how I've evolved. So going through HR, traditional HR, and now moving more into this, paying it forward by helping others. Have you ever had any pushback from people when you've introduced this, the concept of having more of an appreciation focused um, recognition? Then just giving people, as you mentioned, it could be a trophy. I'm going to make an office joke here, but they call them the Dundies, a Dundee that people just <laughs> hide away because they don't actually care about it at all. Only the manager giving them, it thinks that it matters. Yeah. 
you know, it's funny though, because as you were saying about the trophy, I interviewed one company. Every time I write a book, I love it because I interview like 40 companies around the world. And I interviewed this one company in the Netherlands and they had the best trophies because they had each of their values turned into some like really silly thing. And everybody it was like an Emmy. We want this trophy. This is an amazing. And then they would pass it between people. So in that particular situation, it, it worked really well. But I think going back to your question, I think the biggest pushback and it's, it's recognition, appreciation or anything else, no matter, I'm sure everybody knows this. I think it's resistance to change. We've always done it this way. You know, we've always done, we've always done trophies. We've always done a catalog. We've always sent one to the, uh, this big event in Las Vegas and it's this resistance to change. And I spend a lot of time helping people think about, well, you know, the why, why are you really doing it? And is what you're doing actually scratching the itch, you know, helping people do it and then getting the buy-in from leadership to change because they're just as resistant as you are sometimes. So you have to really go through the process and, and help them do it. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. I was talking today on LinkedIn actually about how, why do we blindly follow what we think are best practices? Is it just because people told you to do it and then the company is telling you to do it and then you feel like if you don't do it and anything fails, you're going to be held accountable for that? And we're, I'm like, it's kind of an interesting point to think about why we do a lot of what we do and things that we don't even think that you're doing it because people told you to do it. Like, I think yeah. questioning more would benefit probably any industry. Absolutely. And it becomes a habit. I mean, I was in the middle of writing my second book with my CEO and it's called The Rebel Playbook. So it's all about being a rebel and challenging the status quo. And I was putting in a recognition program and we were giving every employee was able to give 12 of these recognition awards to anybody they wanted throughout the year. And I think the value was like $10, not a lot of money. You could give someone a voucher for $10. And I was getting ready to do what I had always done, which is if you wanted to send it to me, Ashley, then someone in HR would have to sign off on it. And my CEO looked at me, he goes, you're writing a book about being a rebel. Why are you doing the same thing that you've done for 20 years? It's $10. You know, if someone misuses it, which nobody did, who really cares? But it was, <laughs> a, it, it was that force of habit. I just like jumped right into what I was doing before. So um. Needless to say, um, I did not approve the awards. I trusted my people and let them just send them. Look at that. I mean, that's a way to follow. I think that I have a habit that I have good advice that I give to people and I don't always follow my own. And that's kind of an example of that <laughs> because you, you get, you get called out sometimes on it. You're like, but you are, you're like the, the, um, persona for this concept. Like you need to go ahead yeah. and follow practice what you we preach on that. Yeah. And do you know what? To make it even worse, he said, why aren't you doing it? Do you not trust your people? And I said, well, oh. no, I trust my people, but I've got this global audience and I just don't know if I'm going to be able to explain it to them well enough and communicate. And I don't want to set them up for failure. And he goes, Deb, wasn't your first book on communications? <laughs> maybe, maybe you know how to communicate. So yeah, it was like a double, double mistake there. Wow. Yeah. I, double I whammy. Admit, yeah, absolutely. But you know what? We're all human. We all make mistakes. We learn. Was there a moment like a, in time that you had a situation that happened when this ideology got like, it clicked for you. And maybe that was why you decided that you needed to come out with the rebel playbook for um, employee engagement. Like what happened between you having this idea and then feeling like you needed to tell other people about it? 
Well, I actually got asked to write the book. So my CEO had the idea of this book and he hired me to join the company and do HR, but also to, to write the book with him because he knew I had written one book, so I would push him to do it. But it, it didn't happen automatically. When we started talking about it and working on the chapters together, I found myself saying the same things that I had said over and over again. My traditional HR was coming out. And um, I don't know, it was probably a couple of weeks into our conversations and all of a sudden it was like the doors and the gates open. And all of a sudden we got in these amazing conversations and discussions and debates about challenging everything. And it was, it was, it was great. I never had someone to really help me, you know, jump off the diving board and start doing that. And once it happened, uh, I've never gone back. You know, yes, I still have a lot of what I learned in the past, but I'm always now looking at different ways to do it and, and challenging what I've done. And I think that's probably why a lot of people might feel comfortable when I when I do challenge, because I'm not picking on them. I'm picking on things I've done as well so that they can relate to what I'm saying. So that was probably my moment in, in writing this book. And it's interesting because when we wrote the book and we'd finish a chapter, um, my co-author, Glenn, he'd say, does it make you a bit queasy as an HR person, what we're saying? Because we want people to feel uncomfortable as they write it. I'm like, it makes me feel a little uncomfortable, probably not enough. And then we go back and rewrite the chapter. It was great. I was sort of his litmus test. I love that. I love that you had people to kind of like communicate with you and talk about like the pushing the envelope a little bit too. I feel like that's when a lot of good content comes out when you kind of go back and you question and you have the discussions with people about, especially about how, how did it make you feel? Did it make you feel queasy? Did it make you feel queasy enough? Like I, that whole, that whole notion is very interesting to me. You mentioned to me that you haven't always been what you consider to be a rebel. Do you think that anybody can learn that though? Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because when we were writing the book, we were like, should we use the word rebel? Because some people have this negative connotation of what a rebel is. Um, and to me, I define a rebel as a strategic rebel. So you don't just do things just to cause problems. You do things that are strategic. And I think as long as people understand the why you're doing it and they have the tools on how to do it, I genuinely believe that anybody can do it. And again, if I can do it, after being a you know being brought up doing traditional HR, anybody can do it. You just have to want to do it and have see it had, as a positive and not a negative. That too. And I think that it does tend to have the negative connotation. Yes. When yes. people think about a rebel, they think like to your point, that it's more of the rebel without a cause, not like a strategic one. Yeah. And do you know what? As I said, we were we were a bit nervous about using that title. And actually people latched onto it. And I was Googling the other day just to, to see how often the people use that word. And it's used all the time now. I don't, I, I think it's, everyone is seeing as more of like disruption, rebellious. And I mean, that's what your podcast is all about. So you completely get what I'm talking about. Definitely. Um, have you had any mentors along the way to help kind of guide you through your new perspective, uh, particularly pertaining to HR and the way things are done? Well, I mentioned Glenn, my co-author, and, and he probably, if I had to pick one person who, who really changed me the most, I would say it was him. And, you know, anytime I really need somebody to push and challenge me, I, I will give him a call and, and ask him for help because I know that he'll be honest with me and say, you know, that's not the right thing. But since he now lives in Germany and I lived in, live in the UK, 
my husband is the one now. He's um, a senior manager and he is great at pushing and challenging me because I'm seeing HR through his eyes and I'm actually seeing some of the things that we do wrong. You know, he'll come and complain to me about, you know, so-and-so that HR team, they're making us do 10 steps in our performance management or something like that. So he's, he's really, it's a great education and I encourage people, whatever, whatever role you're in, go spend some time with, um, with your customers and, and see it from their perspective. Cause I, I genuinely wish I'd been having those conversations with my husband sooner. It's funny because like the 10 step thing, it makes you kind of question why 10, like, why did you come up with 10? What did it used to be? What did you, what made you decide that it had to be more <laughs> like all of the things that they probably didn't explain to the employees when they changed it. I think yeah. that we have a lot of miscommunication along the way and not kind of telling people why we do the things we do. Um, which can be a lot of the issue behind it. Uh, do you mentor Absolutely. anybody yourself? I know I you do. have an author. So in like a lot of ways, you're doing mm -hmm. it to all the people who are your readers, but. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when I went out on my own, mentoring was not something that I thought of. And I've had a few people who formally have brought me on to do it, but I've got a lot of people who informally come to me. Just today, someone asked me if I could meet them for coffee so they could pick my brain. And, you know, that's one of the things I absolutely love doing. As a matter of fact, on my website, you know, I don't just have, I do, you know, this, this, and this. I say, I'm a sounding board because, you know, what you said before, we all need somebody to bounce ideas off of. And I'm going to be honest with people and maybe challenge them and push them. And I think that's probably why people come to me because similar, like I said, my husband will tell me the truth and Glenn will tell me the truth. Um, I'll do the same thing. What do you think is the most annoying thing about traditional HR? Um, a couple things. I mentioned strategy before, and I think too often we don't think about the strategy. We don't link things together. And I've had that before. Like I've been, I've joined companies at a, a leadership role and my, you know, they'll ask me go out and design something. And I'm like, well, first I need to do the strategy. No, just go design it. So I genuinely believe you need to have strategy linked to your mission, your purpose, and your values. And then probably my other pet peeve is that we design our policies and practices around the 1% who are going to abuse it. You know, like a travel policy. It's like a 50-page document because that one person went in first class instead of standard once. And now everyone has to jump through the, you know, through the hoops. And we write a lot about that in the Rebel Playbook about, you know, let, let's just, you know, they're going to find another way to abuse things. Mm -hmm. Why don't you treat the rest of your people with trust and respect? And that's more pertaining to like the handbook um, at a job you're talking about. Is there a way that people could do, uh, create better handbooks that are more engaging and that are more fitting for the majority and not the people that might be abusing? Well, I've got a great blog on my website because I interviewed a company called Honest Burgers over here in the UK. And their handbook is a sweatshirt. And they've got, they've only have 10 things in their handbook. Five of the points are on one sleeve and the other five are on the other sleeve. And they're like, you know, people only have so much attention. Also, they're adults. Let's focus our handbook on the things that they really need to know. And I, I love it. They sent me a picture of it to put in the blog. So if you if you want to see it, just go. It's um, it's Honest Burgers. So if you if you search for Honest Burgers, you can see it. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm definitely going to be checking that out. It's kind of like the, if you can't fit it on a hoodie, you shouldn't have to have it at all. <laughs> Absolutely. And do you know what? I think it's a really good litmus test. I know I was designing um, at my last company, I was designing a page with all the different employee benefits and I wanted it on one page. So I had to fight over words. Like, is this word, is this word worthy to be on the website? Because I don't have much room. And it, it was, it really kept me honest. I thought it was a great thing to do. I think when you have to fit um, things into a box, you can actually be more creative too. Um, it's kind of counterintuitive, but like when you have to be down to a word count, um, it could make you come up with ideas in a completely different way, which has helped me in content a lot of the time. Yeah, I've done a couple of different talks. There's something called Disrupt HR and you only have five minutes and 20 slides. And man, that is, you really have to think about every single word and every single slide for something like that. And a TED talk, you can only have 18 minutes. So yeah, I think that's great. And more, when I've sat on leadership teams, more and more um, leadership teams that I've been a part of, when you present, they use that format. You know, you only get five slides. You can't go on for an hour. And I think it's more engaging. And also it's a better use of people's time, obviously. All right, let's get tactical. If like-minded individuals kind of want to get on board with what you're talking about and join what you've coined the revolution, which I love, by the way, what kind of tips would you give them to help lead them to that way? So there's three things that I always tell people about that, you know, being a rebel. And, and the first one goes back to what we were talking about a little bit before about being curious and asking why. So don't just take things at face value. Don't take things you know, for granted, but be like that kid in school who's raising their hand all the time. You know, why are we doing this? Why does it make sense to do this? And just question and challenge. You might end up doing the same thing or you might end up doing something different. Um, the second one is to do it in your own way. You know, although half of my books are stories about what companies do, I do that to inspire people. I don't do it so people will copy it because each company is so different and a rebel really will build their programs, do things in their own way. And, and I love that about my job, helping people be creative, you know, about what they do. I am um, one company I interviewed, it's a, they make cookies and all of their recognition programs have themes around cookies and, you know, like the smart cookie award or the crumb award. And you know, they did it in their own way. Um, a, a, another company, a mattress company, all of their values have to do with sleep and counting sheep. And huh. so they're, they're unique. Yeah. And then the last one, the third one is to be brave because people are going to push back. They are, you know, they're going to push back and you just have to keep reminding yourself why you're doing it. You know, like I, I just did a workout before, before our podcast. I really didn't want to do it, but I kept reminding myself I'm doing it because I need to work out. It's going to make me feel better. And the same thing happens with being a rebel. Remind yourself you're doing it to make it a better, whatever your job is in HR, you know, your job is to make it a better employee experience to help your people be their best and your company be the best. So those are my three, curious, own way, and be brave. If you're not a leader and you don't maybe have as much authority in the company, do you feel like you can um, do these things anyway? Absolutely. Um, you know, I wrote my my very last book that I wrote, it's called See It, Say It, Appreciate It. It's for managers. Now, managers do not have the, the you know, ability to design a recognition program, but they have the ability to do lots of informal things. You know, if someone on your team does an amazing job, they've worked insane hours, 
you can recognize them by saying, you know what, why don't you go home early or don't come in on Monday. Or, you know, if someone has just helped somebody out and really done a good job, you know, go buy them some flowers, do something. So you definitely, as a manager, it's important for you to look for opportunities to make someone feel like they've contributed. And then it doesn't have to cost money. Send them a handwritten card. So yeah, no, absolutely. Again, my husband's a, a manager and I hear him on the phone all the time making people's days, just telling them how thankful he is for what they've done. We definitely need to do a lot more of that. Absolutely. And it, you know, it doesn't cost anything to say thank you in a genuine and meaningful way. I totally agree. Um, one question I've been asking everybody on the podcast is I want you to think back to um, quote unquote unpopular opinions that are probably not that unpopular and I'm having them debunk them. Um, and I kind of wanted to give you an opportunity to do that. Okay. Well, we've been talking about recognition and appreciation. So a couple of, couple of those things that, that we need to debug. The first one, if I think about when we first started doing recognition programs, it was like employee of the year. You know, you'd have 20 people and you'd spend all this money and you'd have an event. And, you know, my challenge on that is if you're only going to recognize your superstars, you're missing out on all those other people. I interviewed someone who was with the NBA. And he said, and I love the way he put it. He, he said, if you're only going to recognize the people scoring the goals, what about the people who pass them the ball? What about the person who stole the ball from the other team? Don't they deserve it as much? So I really think that it's such a myth. Why just focus on those types of people? What about everyone else that contributed and, and, and made a difference or those silent heroes, those types of things? And then the other one I, I mentioned before about money you don't have to spend a lot of money on it. Some of my favorite stories from people are silly little things, you know, handwritten cards. One manager, one of my companies, he used to uh, bake a bag of cookies, homemade cookies when you did something that was extraordinary and you know everybody wanted to help him. You know, oh. how, much did, how much did it cost to bake cookies? So yeah, there's, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money and that holds people back. And it's like, no, just if you don't have any money, just do something for free time, give people time off that costs nothing. I kind of made me think back to when I was a kid. Um, I was 16, actually 15. And I was getting my um, permit and we had my mom and dad to definitely didn't want to teach me. So they put me in the school and um, it was packed that I did it in May, June, July, August, like when school was out and I was competing with um, driving time hours with a lot of other people. And the, they only let us do time one hour a week, but I made the instructor cookies <laughs> every time. And then I got double the uh, amount of shifts the week, <laughs> but yeah, you never know. Like the, it's the little things a lot of the time that we don't value as much as we should but that make a big difference. Yeah. And in that situation, it's, it's a lovely example of your instructor remembered you. So, you know, it made a difference to them. My daughter just, um, she decided that she can't handle two jobs because she's going to school and she, she just resigned today, but we're going to make a nice little gift for her bosses because who knows? Well, she, first of all, she wants to thank them because they're amazing bosses. But, you know, who knows, the other job might not work out and she might need to come back to them and they will remember her because she took the time to thank them. 
I love that. I don't think I know a lot of people who are doing things like that when they're leaving a job. I think that is a very good thing to keep in mind though. Good tactical tip for people when you're <laughs> leaving your job. You never know. <laughs> you never know when you might need that person again. But do you know what? If Forget about that. If someone's done such a lovely job supporting you and helping you out when you've been there for the last one year, two years, three years, why shouldn't you say thank you to them? You know, it's a great way to, to leave. I, I think it is too. Um, I want to make sure that people have an opportunity to uh, go out and follow you um, if they want to. I'll have show note copies of where to go to get your books and whatnot, but I wanted to give you an opportunity for people who are just, you know, checking out the podcast while they're getting ready in the morning or behind the wheel. Like, where should they go to find you? Probably the best place is my website. So it's debcohr.com. And since I'm all about paying it forward, there's one tab that is free resources. So there's lots of things that you can just download that can help you in regards to all my different books, communications, values, engagement, appreciation, and then blogs. I mentioned the, uh, you know, that one example of a blog, there's lots of other blogs. So hopefully there's something in there to, to help everyone and inspire you. Thank you. Well, I, I loved having you on the show today. I think you were uh, the perfect guest um, for the topic and I haven't had an author on here yet either. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, but thank you again for joining. Um, I hope to um, keep finding your content on LinkedIn and I'm going to be checking out your webpage too. So thank you for taking the time to be on the show with me today. Thank you very much. Hopefully we didn't make people too hungry by talking about cookies. Oh, yes. Hopefully not. <laughs> All right. You have a good day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to Unpopular Opinion. This episode was produced by Audience Ops, a content-led growth agency. If you're looking for help launching a podcast, Audience Ops handles all the legwork so you can focus on providing the subject matter expertise. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow Ashley's show on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube.